You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Happy Friday! It's a Friday, Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Ian Fitzsimmons in for Jason Fitz again. So it's a Spain and Fitzsimmons Friday. Got lots of guests, guests, I should say, coming through on this Friday. We're going to have a bit of a party. Uh, but we got to start with the news of the day. And it's time for Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. It was expected, but it's official. Jameis Winston, QB1 for the Saints. And a lot of conversation about just how good the Saints can be with Winston as their starter. Ryan Clark was on TV today and ruffling some feathers, I'm sure, down in New Orleans, talking about how Jameis Winston is the most talented QB Sean Payton's going to have in the last couple seasons. The reason that this team is not in the Super Bowl other than a terrible call or a terrible missed call in the NFC Championship was Drew Brees. That Drew Brees was bad in the playoffs. I mean, people didn't want to admit it then because he was Drew Brees, but he stunk it up. He couldn't push the football down the field. This defense has been championship caliber the last few years, and I believe they will be again this year. Also, what we haven't mentioned this entire show, and I guess it is because, you know what, you know, out of sight, out of mind, is Alvin Kamara still plays football. Mm -hmm. Alvin Kamara is still alive. And last I checked, he's one of the top three backs in the league, especially when you're talking about guys that can do it in the run and pass. So, Ian Fitzsimmons, are you willing to say, we all have eyes, we saw Breeze wasn't the man he used to be, but are you willing to say that even with the risks that you have with Jameis in terms of decision-making, this will be the best quarterback playing for Sean Payton in the last three years? Uh, Ryan Clark is an old friend, and he's a fellow boot boy, right? He's an LSU Bengal Tiger. Uh, He's he's a Louisiana guy like I Maybe you worked at uh, Steve Madden together or something. (laughs) 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 But look, the key words, he said there were other than. In 2018, right, the Rams playoff game in New Orleans, we all know what happened. Now, was it Drew Brees that, that, that knocked the snot out of a wide receiver on, on the right boundary? No. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, look, so other than, yeah, he is he is right as far as last year and maybe even 2019, but people also forget that Kyle Rudolph had an OPI that was dismissed in the back of the end zone, uh, you know, against the New Orleans Saints. And go back to 2018 in that Rams game, Sean Payton mismanaged that clock so horrendously that it led to the opportunity after the DPI wasn't called that we went to overtime in, in, in that game. And, you know, Drew Brees was not – he was awful in overtime. So yeah. Ryan Clark is halfway correct because the key words are other than. There were – it was a missed call in 18 that was horrendous. It was a missed call in 19 that was horrendous. And last year, Drew Brees was in the playoffs horrendous uh, against Tampa Bay. But without Drew Brees – they weren't in that position to have those calls even be placed against them. So, you know, you, you look at Jameis Winston right now going forward. Is he, as far as arm talent, the best that, that Sean Payton and the Saints have had in the last three years? Arm talent-wise, yeah. But you also, playing quarterback, and Ryan knows this, and Sarah, you know this as well as anybody, it also comes down to what is between the ears mm-hmm. and, and managing the game and knowing – when it's okay to punt, when it's okay to throw a ball away. And that is something I do believe that Jameis Winston learned watching Drew Brees and and, and being in that system with Sean Payton. He doesn't have to try and, and drive a ball in 20 yards down the field because he is a, 
Jameis Winston's arm talent is second to none. It's it's that good. I mean that. You don't you don't throw for over five thousand yards in this league, right? It, it, Not an you, elite arm. It's yeah. It's <laughs> clear you. that he can make the big thank play. You. But it's and, just and a matter your... of managing the game and not trying to force it and, and and checking down or punting is okay. To your point, he said of learning from Drew Brees, he learned be Bruce Wayne until you have to be Batman. You don't have to be Batman all the time. If he can take that to heart and yep. in game situations, not just in the abstract, make the right decisions. I think it was Marcus Spears who said, get back to old football, end every possession in a kick. Right? You're either field goal and, and, and kicking off because you scored or you're punting because you didn't make it and, and you, you smartly returned the ball to the other team. It's not turnovers. It's not fumbles. It's not interceptions, which has been the bane of Winston's career. He leads the league in turnovers for every quarterback during the time that he's been in the league. And I'm just not ready to commit to him being the man we saw in the preseason, in the regular season, just yet. Now, I do agree he deserved the starting position, and Jeff Darlington said as much on the Max Kellerman show today. Yeah, I do because of, you know, the, the, the interception situation with him. Uh, I just think that, you know, look at Tom Brady at the beginning of that year. He, he struggled in that system as well. So, you know, he threw more picks than he usually does. He figured it out and has more leverage than Jameis Winston to walk into Bruce Arians' offense and say, we got to change things. But, like, I think in Sean Payton's system, Jameis will be better and won't throw as many picks. And the upside there, I definitely understand why he's a starter. I mean, throwing the ball downfield more than 40 yards on two touchdowns? Saints haven't had that in three years. It will matter how he takes care of the ball because the Saints' defense should be good. Now, they lost Sheldon Rankins. They lost Trey Hendrickson. They lost Janoris Jenkins, right? They had to make some tough decisions because of salary cap Patrick issues. Robinson and, retired at corner. Yeah, yeah. They need to figure out if they can fill some of those spots with with rookies and with and with new players and still be good enough on the defensive end that they don't need Jameis to throw for 5,000 yards and 30 touchdowns. He could just be pretty good. But he only threw 11 passes last year, remember? So uh, there is a continuity issue there that we'll see if he can pull off when he gets back in there. You and I disagree. I think some of those salary cap decisions came because they gave $16.3 million in an extension to a quarterback in Taysom Hill that Sean Payton has always told us is a number one and has never actually been able to prove he's number one and take over that position. You're of the opinion he does enough on the field to make that money worthwhile. I think that there was nobody else in the league that was going to promise him a QB1 attempt or even be able to fight for that job. And he would have taken a lot less to stay with the Saints. Yeah, his cap at this year is $7 million. Talking about Taysom Hill. Uh, base salary about a mil. Uh, but he does a job. And I've, I've talked to a couple of coaches around the league and one NFL general manager. When this deal got done with Taysom Hill going back, you know, what I think it was uh, before last season. And he said he does a job of four guys. And that, that's the Taysom Hill that is not your, your backup quarterback, right? Is not your starting quarterback. That's the Taysom Hill we've seen be the ultimate Swiss Army knife, right, where he's, you know, covering kicks, he's covering punts, he's on punt return, he's on punt uh, kick return, he's lining up outside in the slot, right, at, at tailback, or you can line him up alongside Jameis Winston. And one NFL GM told me he does a job of four players the price of one. So when you really think about it, let's say you just go league minimum on the other three guys, right, around four hundred grand. So you're, you're looking at the salary then of, all right, is he overpaid a bit? Yeah, because that's the man crush that Sean Payton has mm-hmm. on him, and it's almost like a, a tip of the cap of like, hey, you, you've sacrificed your body for these last four years for the team. I'm going to give you you know, an actual little kiss here. But when you talk to other people around the league, he does do so many things that is he worth that money? Okay, maybe not that much, but that was a 
loyalty kiss and right. a you you're filling four jobs with one body. I when just you have think- a 53 man roster, that goes a long way. I agree, I agree with all that. I do think it's interesting. Sean Payton hasn't gotten much criticism for continuing to put his money and his and his words behind a guy who's just never proven that he can be the QB1 that he claims. Uh, but Jameis Winston, knows. now named the QB1. We'll see how that goes for a Saints team. I think is a wild card team, but I wouldn't be shocked if they landed outside the playoffs despite that that defense that hopefully can make up even though they had those offseason losses. That's Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. No contract, no compromise. It's Spain and Fitz. Ian Fitzsimmons in for Jason Fitz tonight on ESPN Radio, presented by Progressive Insurance. Guest going to join us on the Goodyear Hotline tonight. Hopefully we'll get a chance to talk about Dak a little bit later in the show. But coming up, we got lots to talk about as college football is tomorrow. Tomorrow. We're going to get into it next. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. 30 years. How has it been 30 years since 10? One of the greatest albums of all time, one of my favorite bands of all time, and it is absolutely wild to think that 10 came out 30 years ago on this day. We'll be rocking Pearl Jam all night long. If you want to chime in, you could tell us your favorite tunes from 10 at Sarah Spain. I think it's at Ian Fitz, ESPN. You are correct. At Spain and Fitz. Let us know your favorite Pearl Jam songs from 10, just from 10, 30th anniversary. You can also let us know your favorite football season tradition, college or NFL. It's Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Tomorrow, college football begins. Everyone's calling it week zero, but there's, I think, 25 games, so call it whatever you want. There's actual action on the field. And college game day, built by the Home Depot, kicks off with the cricket MEAC SWAC Challenge. That is uh, that is all state and North Carolina uh, Central, and that's a 7 p.m. start on ESPN. Pretty cool, Ian, because there's only been three college game days at HBCUs, and the last time was 2008, so quite a while ago. And I love the spotlight on these two schools, especially since both of them sat out last season for COVID reasons. They're raring to get back at it and prove that they're still – uh, you know, going to be contenders. So it's really cool to kind of have all the attention uh, on these two HBCUs. Yeah, you know, I, I, my brother played quarterback at Bucknell. Uh, another brother played at linebacker at Colgate. You went to Cornell, right? And yep. When, when it comes to the smaller colleges, especially the HBCUs, uh, man, it, it's it's awesome. When when game day would go to North Dakota State, right, and, and do a game from there, or or James Madison, and now this one, I love when game day says, you know what. The easy choice, Sarah, would have been Nebraska-Illinois, right? Okay. You know, you got two Big Ten teams. It's week right. zero. It's a noon kick, you know, even though – and, and Hawaii-UCLA, go yeah. somewhere warm. Well, yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, let's go see our old buddy Chip Kelly. Right? No. Yeah. No. They, they went, you know, the smaller college route because a lot – right now, especially in this environment, and we, we talked to John Steinbrecher, Freddie Coleman and I did um, a couple nights ago, the MAC commissioner. And there's a lot of concern amongst, and he didn't he didn't voice concern, but you talk to other coaches and ads around the country, you know this alliance that that is you know built on a foundation of sand, as you and I talked about a couple of days ago, the smaller schools that need these big paychecks, right? Whether it's you know Towson playing Maryland, you know, and getting seven hundred fifty grand. I mean, that goes a long, long, long. Alcorn State, right? If you go play right. Bama, I mean, that's a million dollars, right? That goes a long way. For your not just football budget, but your athletic department budget, and if we have the smaller schools not having 
every now and then, that big payday, yeah, you get your brains beaten in most of the time, but every now and then you get a remarkable story. Every now and then, North Dakota State goes into K-State for a million dollars and wins. Every now and then, App State goes into Michigan and wins and gets paid to do it, right? So, you know, to, to, to focus tomorrow you know, tomorrow in college game day and Herbie and the boys being at, at, at a traditional HBCU rivalry, I think it is phenomenal for the game and bringing more attention to the smaller schools that are being forgotten mm-hmm. when it comes to all the – the big money politics that go into college football right now. Ian Fitzsimmons is with me here, filling in for Jason Fitz. It's Spain and Fitz Simmons on ESPN Radio. I agree, and also, you know, a lot of conversation about HBCs used lately. Uh, for one, there wasn't a single HBCU player drafted last year in the NFL. It's, what, 259 players. There are some, of course, that signed with teams after the fact, but bringing more attention to these schools, these programs, these players. Also, we've seen a lot of really high-profile former players go back and coach, and there's some very valid conversations about the attention that that brings, which is a positive, but also are the either skipping steps to get those head coach positions and not understanding the work that goes into running a program, or are they using it as a stepping stone to get to a different program? And and when you have the focus and the spotlight that gets on these schools for something like College Game Day or these big tournaments, it really allows more conversation and just for them to step into more of the of the everyday debates and, and interests that we have in college football. And I think that allows them to be more destinations than just stepping stones. Also, you love in HBCU matchups that you have some special, you know, pageantry outside of the game itself. Absolutely. Migos is going to be performing live on game day alongside the uh, North uh, Carolina Central Sound Machine Marching Band and Alcorn State. You States ever seen them? Dynamite Woo! Marching Band, which I love. Um, <laughs> and you've got whatever the Golden Girls are. I'm excited about that. Uh, so yeah, you've got all this other stuff that's auxiliary to the game itself. And uh, I'm, I'm just excited for, for football season to be back. I asked this of our listeners, but Ian, of all the football season traditions, and it could be a, a, a specific to a team or a game, or it could just be your personal tradition that you do during football season. Do you have a favorite? Well, look, I mean, I, I travel every weekend, you know, for, for college football. And it's so not seeing your family day. is your favorite? Right. <laughs> oh, no. My <laughs> wife's favorite is my sorry butt being out of right, the house. Right. right? Like, get the hell out of here. You're gone. Beat it, dude. Go. I mean, last year was brutal for her. I only did 10 games last year. Normally I'll do close to 30. Uh, so, and most of them were on TV, which, of course, Sarah, my daughters, told me, the only reason they put you on TV 10 times, Dad, is because you had to wear a mask. So, ah, uh, nice. You. Yeah, well done by the by teenagers, the huh? Girls. Absolutely. <laughs> <I'm guessing. laughs> uh, tailgating at LSU. I mean, it, it doesn't get in much better. And I'm an Alabama grad. You know, six and a half years of undergrad at Alabama. Uh, being a bookie and a bartender is a bad combo to try and get out in four years. Um, you know, Howard's Rock is remarkable, but you just go to LSU, and I, I will recommend this to any human being, whether you're whether you're a football fan or not. If you have an opportunity to go to a big game in Baton Rouge, night game, right, and Mm -hmm. just go walk through the tailgates, and they're all going to welcome you in and give you a cold beer and and here's some etouffee and a a cup of gumbo, and, you know, they'll they'll be roasting, you know, it may be a pig buried in the ground, right? I mean, and and just a hog spit. It it, it is, there's nothing like LSU at night in a big game. I promise you. It does not get any better. Kyle Field, you know, I mean, the Coliseum at SC, touchdown Jesus, sailgating at Washington. I've done them all. Yeah. I'm telling you, 
it is not there's nothing like a night game at the red stick and a, I mean, a, it's just it's just different it smells different it feels different and get ready i promise you if you're not a fan of either team wear black because it's a neutral color, and you won't get <laughs> annihilated, right, for being accused of wearing the visiting team's colors. ESPN Raiders presented by Progressive Insurance. Drivers who save with Progressive save over $700 on average. This is how you and I differ. You you travel every weekend for it. You've been to every game. I, my, I grew up with parents who don't care about college football, so I had no allegiance. Then I went to Cornell. So great school. Go you have red. a football team. But even if you, they were the greatest football team of all time, they are literally prohibited from participating in any postseason games. So you don't really get into the big-time college football if you're a fan there. So I had to do college football bachelorette a couple years ago, whittling down from 25 teams to figure out a team to root for. I selected Michigan, so you could tell I'm not a bandwagoner. It was just something that felt right with my Midwestern roots and various parts of the program that felt right. But I've been to so few college games, but the girl that I mentor is going into her junior year at Ole Miss and wants me to come oh, down to Grove. the Grove oh, for baby. her 21st birthday. And I like to oh. cling to my youth and pretend that I'm not too far past oh, my own Sarah. 21st birthday. So I feel like that might be a good way to get Sarah. myself into some of those, those good spots. Let me tell you something. Ole Miss, John Desler played DB there. I went to high school with him. He owns a place called The Library. It is the bar yes. in, at, uh-huh. at Ole Miss. I mean, and... I promise you, a slur. Take care of Sarah Spain when she shows up because, let me tell you, the Grove, you're not just having champagne. You're having champagne from a chandelier, right? Yeah. Before the game. It it, It looks very fancy, very bougie, very my style of tailgate. I'm into it. Also, (laughs) the library donated a card because you need to pay to enter uh, for our charity this year. So we um, we are up on, my mentor and I have a charity together. We are up on the library. We know how that works. Uh, my other favorite tradition Ooh. is allowing myself to be lazy on Sundays and watch the NFL because I come from a not lazy family. We weren't, we didn't sit around and watch TV, so uh, getting the chance to just let myself chill is one of my favorite football traditions. Let us know yours. Andrea Carter is going to join us next to talk about a massive initiative. It's coming up. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. We're going to get in the zone. Brought to you by AutoZone. Get in the zone. AutoZone. About an initiative yesterday on Women's Equality Day that made me so fired up. Michelob Ultra committing $100 million to women's sports over the next five years to increase visibility for female athletes in women's sports. The largest single financial commitment by any brand to women's sports initiatives. And one of the spokespeople for it is our very own ESPN's Andrea Carter. We'll call you Drea, ESPN SEC basketball analyst. Also doing some football stuff, I think, joining us on the Goodyear Hotline. Uh, First, the most important things. I tagged both of your Twitter accounts in promoting this, (laughs) and now I'm not sure if either is you. What's happening? Let me see here. I'm, I'm pretty sure you probably tagged one of them. Um, I'm I am working on my Twitter presence. So yes, you got the right. <laughs> By having you two accounts, perfect, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> no, okay. My old account got hacked, so I had oh. to restart, which is really uh, what's the opposite of motivating, discouraging. But I'm working through it. I'm right, through right. It. All right, Jay Williams. Whatever you say. Let's talk about <laughs> this. Let's talk about this Michelob Ultra promise. How did you get involved with this? This is amazing. So uh, it's honestly the craziest thing. Um, I did, I do some fitness photo shoot type things and someone, one of my friends reached out to me and she was like, Hey, I got a call for this popular beer brand commercial. You should apply for it. And I was like, what? And then, and then when they found out who I was, I actually missed the deadline to apply, 
But when I don't, someone brought my name up to them and they were like, yeah, you can just come, like, just come. We're, we're going to work this out. And so it really kind of happened by chance. But then once the connection was made, they were super bought in, wanted me to be a part of it. Um, the commercial shoot, everything was just, it was top notch. It was a great experience. And when I heard, I get to the, you know, casting call and I read the script and I'm like, please let me be a part of this because it was, <laughs> it was awesome. Take us behind the scenes, uh, the script, everything. For people who may not know, uh, what was it like and, and what is the mission behind this Mick Ultra? Uh, one, what is it, $100 million commitment over the next five years? Is that yes. Right? Yeah. So, yeah, so $100 million over the next five years. Um, the, the photo shoot was, so I, I get to the, they call me in for like a casting call that was past the date that it was supposed to be, which was really awesome. Um, and they just hand me this script and they're like, you know, read, read the, read these lines, these, these two. And it's, I read, and you definitely don't have to like how I play. And I read, you don't have to like how I got here. And I'm like, this is awesome. Right. Like even just those <laughs> two lines, I was like, wait, this is really oh, cool. Yep. Um, and say it, see it at first, I didn't know what it was, but when I read the entire script, um, you know, when you save women's sports, you support women's sports. Like, it's just so powerful. And then they said NECA was going to be a part of it, and I just could have cried at that point because um, <laughs> it was awesome. Uh, and it's it's $100 million over the next five years, which is amazing, the financial part of it. But there have actually been, I feel like, quite a few companies that are sponsors of the WNBA or provide funding, which is fantastic. But I think the really cool thing about Mick Ultra is over the next five years, 50% of their lifestyle media will feature and promote female athletes. And for the next five years, male and female athletes will be represented equally in all of their creative advertising. Um, yeah. And all of their, all their influencers and athletes will be equal male and female. So it's not just, it's the money, which is amazing, but we're going to see more women in more Nicolas Ultra advertisements because they're committing to it. And I feel like that's, Doing more than just the sure. Hey, Drea, we're starting to lose your phone. I think someone from one of those other companies is hacking it to try to cut into the shine that you're given. We're going to try to grab her back. But honestly, that's one of the reasons I wanted to talk to Drea about this, Ian, because, and Ian Fitzsimmons is filling in for Fitz tonight here on Spain and Fitz. There's, I've been in so many different calls and meetings. I'm on the new women's board for Gatorade, and one of the things we're really focusing on is what is the biggest barrier to keeping girls in sports at a certain age? It starts out girls and boys are equal, and then around 10 to 13 years old, 50% of girls drop out and trying to figure out what is doing that. Is it expectations from society to be more girly and care about boys and makeup and clothes? Is it funding? Is it lack of resources? Is it that by that age all the fields start to go to the boys or the people focus more about the money you can make instead of the benefits of being an athlete? And I do think a lot of it is how we portray female athletes. We, we, we kind of infantilize them as either your little girl all grown up or a role model for them. We don't let them be fierce. We don't let them be badass. We don't show them being rich and famous and cool the way we think of men's athletes. And I do think that when you get to a certain age and you want to aspire to something, that matters a ton. So I love the idea of not just the money, but that all of these ads and these creative ideas are going to put female athletes right alongside the men as these very aspirational people. Look, my, my daughter Rowan is a, a 15-year-old, you know, select goalkeeper. Uh, Sarah Fuller, who my brother coached at at, at Vanderbilt, um, you know, is is one of her goal is her goalkeeper's coach. Awesome. And she, you know, Sarah told her, hey, "You got to start lifting weights." 
right? And my, my daughter's like, well, I don't want to get all bulky and stuff. And Sarah's looking at it like, what, you think I am? <laughs> like, like, hold on, wait, well, right, it's so it's, many it's, of those stereotypes yes, that get stereotype. in your head. Like, you start lifting weights, right? I don't want to be all bulky and look like you know an Eastern Bloc, you know, nineteen eighties, you know, power lifter from East Germany. No, well, you know, that, that's something that that if it wasn't for Sarah, my daughter wouldn't wouldn't have started lifting weights because of what you're talking about. The stereotypes of well, hold on, I don't want to be all bulky and whatnot. And Sarah's like, no, it's about tone and fitness. Right. It's, you're, it's, it, the, it's about the what your body can do for you, yeah. too. And, go and that's win. the thing. And you we, have to do this to be able to compete. And that's why this is so important, because yep. all, all through our lives, our society is telling us this is what your body looks like, and this is the aesthetic to go for, instead of what it can do for you. And I'll tell you, as someone who was six feet tall by the time I was 12, I needed the confidence of this is this is doing things 5'11". for me. Yeah, right, because if, if you're just insecure about being taller than all the boys, and you can't find long pants, you don't look cute, and you don't have this other outlet that's, that says, my body is great, it is allowing me to win all these things, it's tough, and so it's, it's so important. And Andrea's back with us, Andrea Carter, who covers hoops for ESPN, is going to start doing some college football, too, as well, part of this Michelob Alter campaign. I'm sure you feel the same way. I know you're not quite as tall, but you were an athlete all growing up. You played basketball at Tennessee, famous Bulls, uh, you know, franchise there. Um, and that confidence you get as an athlete, as a woman, I think can't be, can't be topped. Oh, it's, it's huge. I feel like I talk to young girls all the time now and they're like, oh, I don't want to be too muscular. And I'm like, what do you mean you don't want to be too muscular? Or you like, we're strong and we're powerful. And as soon as you get in, put into a sport and you're like, oh, wait, this means I can hit it over the fence or I can right. take contact. I can take contact and still make my layup or, you know, like take a charge and not feel like all my bones are breaking. I just, I feel like you know, women, when we start to think about the strength of women are strong naturally anyway, but when you can build your body to be strong, or like you said, what can your body do for you? Or what does your body do for you? It's just such a a mindset changer. It's huge. Well, we're out of time here. Sorry that your phone crackled, but we were so happy to have you on and for you to be a part of this. I just think it's the coolest thing ever. And hopefully we'll have you back on during the hoop season. Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much. Can we get Tennessee football back? Yeah. <laughs> oh, don't get us going oh on that. God. You can follow Drea Carter at a couple different places, but I think the main one is Andrea underscore Carter on Twitter. Shout out to Mick Ultra for that. I mean, it's just just awesome stuff. Coming up, we're going to talk to speaking of badass women, Gabby Thomas, bronze Olympian and and masters in epidemiology. It's coming up next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. You all know if I have any chance to rep some Ivy League track and field on this program, I will. I'm just grateful I graduated a long time ago and I never had to run or jump against our next guest, Gabby Thomas, joining us on the Goodyear Hotline. The third fastest 200-meter sprint of all time, Gabby put down at the U.S. Olympic track and field team trials. That makes her the second fastest woman in the history of the race behind only, oh, you know, Flo Joe. Gabby, thanks for the time. Congrats on the bronze at the Olympics. Let's talk about that race at the trials, first of all, because you sounded like in the interviews after you surprised even yourself with that run. Yeah, I mean, I did surprise myself with that run. Um, You know, obviously, I've been working really hard for this. It's been years in the making, um, a lot of blood, sweat and tears. So, you know, I expected myself to do well. I just not sure if I expected myself to do quite that well. Um, But, you know, the goal was to be an Olympian. And that's what I went into the race thinking. Um, The time, though, the time was something that I wasn't prepared for. And I kept having to check and see if that was actually real. Um, And it was. So that was just a really amazing moment for me. 
it feels like that bronze, first of all, is an accomplishment no matter what. Was there any part of you that because you didn't run quite as fast at the at, at Tokyo that was disappointed? Or like, did the trials run change your expectation for yourself? Or was it still sort of like, wow, I can't even believe I'm at the Olympics? Right. So um, going into trials, yeah, the goal was to make the Olympic team, which is, you know, for anyone who who follows track and field, you know, for the U.S., it's just really, really difficult. And we were so deep in the sprints that making the Olympic team is just a huge, huge accomplishment. Um, so that was my first goal. And then, you know, after trials happened and I ran such a, a startlingly fast time for me, my goal was to medal at the Olympics. And that was kind of a quick mindset turnaround for me. Um, so, you know, it's hard to say that I was disappointed just because getting an Olympic medal is, is such a huge accomplishment, especially against that field of women. But yeah, the time wasn't quite as fast, but, you know, we were, we were all dealing with a lot. We were all dealing with the time change um, because of the pandemic. We couldn't get there quite, you know, quite as soon as we wanted to. So we were just kind of coming off of jet lag and, and, and dealing with that. Um, so I'm, I'm proud of how I competed. And that's really, as an athlete, that's all you can do is just compete your hardest and, and put it all on the line. And that's what I did. Um, and I got the medal. So it's hard to be disappointed, but I, I do think there's more in the tank. Um, yeah. And I'm definitely excited to go for a medal next time such a cool feeling to come home with such a great accomplishment and yet still believe that you have more and you can do more. Gabby Thomas is with us here on Spain and Fitz. Let's talk about your time at Harvard. I'm a former Cornell heptathlete. Of course, a lot of meets, there aren't multis. So I was doing long jump, triple jump. I didn't do straight sprints. I did hurdles. So I got to avoid your speed, but I would have been absolutely getting whooped by you in the jumps. Uh, how did you decide to go to Harvard? I know it, it, I read that you really didn't dedicate yourself to track in, in, in a way that might, you know, get you to the collegiate Olympic level until pretty late junior year in high school, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Um, yeah. So I chose Harvard for two really main reasons. And it was just that I could, you know, excel at athletics and academics. Um, and any other extracurricular activity that I wanted. But I knew when I met my coach at Harvard that he was going to lay a great foundation for me to succeed in whatever I wanted to do, whether that be track or anything else. And the culture of the team was um, just very supportive, very committed. Um, and that's just kind of the environment that I wanted to surround myself in because it would set me up for anything that I wanted to do later in life. Um, and of course, being a Massachusetts native, I loved being in Boston. Um, so those things all combined really made Harvard just a great fit for me personally. At Harvard, you were not only a star on the track and in the pits, but you majored in neurobiology and global health. <laughs> I can't even imagine trying to balance that because all of my friends who are in anything, science or engineering, the labs and the, the, the time that it takes to do all that stuff. How did you find that balance and how did you make it work? Gosh, yeah. Um, at first, finding that balance is very, very difficult for me. I had multiple conversations with my coach and with my mom, and, and sometimes I got to a point where I thought that I might have to take a break from track or just end my track career altogether because, you know, I had other aspirations and it was just getting to be a lot for me. Um, but, you know, with the help of my coach and, and figuring out that time management and kind of finding the joy in everything that I'm doing, it just kind of worked itself out. Um, it was challenging. I, I just, I have to say it was, it took a while and it was quite a learning curve, but once, you know, I, I just found a balance and got my groove and, and started enjoying what I was studying and enjoying being on the track. Um, it kind of just, I made it work and I, I found time for what I wanted to do. Um, but it, you know, it just took a lot of, of perseverance and, and meditation and just soul searching to, you know, finally find that stride. 
And not that anyone needs to be reminded nope. how impressive uh, neurobiology at Harvard or anything at Harvard is, especially neurobiology. I believe it was like started there, right? Like the concept of combining mm-hmm. all of the different aspects that make up neurobiology was was established by a doctor and and put into place with the department at Harvard. So decent place uh, to learn. What what drew you to that? Uh, um, what what made you want to major in that in global health? Yeah, well, when I was in high school, I knew I wanted to do neurobiology. I believe when I was a junior, I had made that decision um, because I was interested in, you know, how the brain functioned. And mainly, you know, my little brother had autism and then my, my twin brother had ADHD and he started, you know, going through this neurofeedback therapy after all of the medications and stuff just wasn't working for him. Um, and I was so fascinated in how that worked and how it truly helped him Um just with his academics and just in life, um, he had completely transformed. And so that's something that I wanted to go study and then, you know, ultimately do research when I left college. Um, And I was, you know, I used to Google just neurobiology programs before I was even thinking about running track in college and and seeing what, you know, what research was being done at different programs. Um, And then, you know, I landed on Harvard, thankfully, um, which, you know, I I couldn't go wrong with with the neurobiology program. Um, And then, you know, I just, really loved it. Um, And even when I decided that I was going to move forward with my track career um, and not, you know, pursue research after I graduated, I I just still wanted to kind of stick with that program because it was so fascinating and I just loved studying it. And then with health policy, that was something that I was really passionate about as well, um, just at the intersection of science and health disparities. And so that's what landed me with public health now. And, you know, I'm doing my studies that and I'm enjoying it so much. And so it's just been a great journey. Gabby Thomas is with me here on Spain and Fitz, Olympic bronze medalist in the 200 meters. Before I let you go, I want to ask how this partnership with Olipop came about. I just tried my first Olipop a couple of weeks ago. It was delicious. I'm a fan. Oh, yeah. yeah, well, I, you know, I came into Olipop through my media team, which is the world's greatest team. Um, <laughs> and I used to be... I used to be a soda drinker. I'm not going to lie. I love soda, but, you know, it's one of those things that I had to give up for my lifestyle um, because it's so much unnecessary sugar. And what drew me to Olipop was just its actual authentic focus on health. Um, And they actually have gut microbiome researchers, like top of the line, who put years of dedicated research into this. Um, And, you know, just with my health background, just being so interested and, and, um, in health and how, you know, your gut health actually even affects your mental health. It seemed like a perfect fit from just from like the yeah. first conversation. And I, was, sure. I love soda and this is a healthy soda. So. Me too. I yeah. quit soda like six or seven years ago and I grabbed one of those Olipop root beers and I was like, hell yeah, this, this will do. Yep. Uh, Gabby, congrats on everything. We look forward to seeing you uh, in, in, in upcoming races and, and good luck with the studies too. Thank you so much. Thanks. Gosh, does she make me feel like a waste of space. I mean, come on with the second fastest woman ever in the 200 meter to Flojo and all the other studies. Uh, Just incredible. And there's a little bit of that interview that didn't make the cut. Uh, We pre-taped it so you can get the on the podcast. Subscribe at Spain and Fitz wherever you get your podcast. You can catch everything that you might have missed. Don't forget, too, you can be a part of Spain and Fitz Nation on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed at Sarah Spain, at Ian Fitz ESPN, at Spain and Fitz ESPN Nation is presented by Dr. Pepper. College football is back, and so are the fans. Return to glory with Fansville by Dr. Pepper, the one fans deserve. We asked you earlier to tell us either your favorite football season tradition, that could be college or NFL, and also your favorite song from the Pearl Jam album 10, which is experiencing its 
30th anniversary today, which is making all of us feel very, very, very old. Wise, Sarah. Wise. Experienced. Getting old. We're getting wise, (laughs) right? The best part about that album is that you you can just kind of mouth along with Eddie, and and you're you're, you're singing the same thing. Even if you don't know the words, you know? It doesn't matter. Like a live, just kind of, and you're you're good. I mean, just kind of flow with it, right? Uh, somebody said that they don't want to take off their masks because then people at concerts will know when they forget the words, <laughs> which is pretty great. The um, best part is Eddie Vedder actually admitted like ha- some of the songs he's kind of just kind of rolls with it with the with the you know the medley. Yeah, done. One of the fascinating things about that album is it is so melodic. It has these great power chords, but it, the the topics are dark. You know, there's that trilogy in there of, of first finding out that your father is not your father, then going on a shooting spree because of it, then getting caught. And it, it's, I mean, it's dark. It, it dealt with a lot of stuff, depression and otherwise. Right, Sarah. And yet it's well it's still going strong. <laughs> All right, sorry to bring it down. I'll bring us back up. We'll go camping next. We'll talk some Ravens on a Friday. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Let's head out to Baltimore. Joining us on the Goodyear Hotline, camping with the Ravens, it's Jameson Hensley. Jameson, uh, a couple days ago, the big talk was around somebody asking Lamar Jackson if other teams would be able to figure him out by now, get enough of a good look at him to be able to slow him down, figure him out. He said, I doubt it. What do you think about that? Is there a chance that they'll have figured out some of the ways to best handle Lamar Jackson? Actually, I was the one who asked the question, too. Lamar. Nice. All right. Uh, I apologize for not giving day. you the credit. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and I, basically, I kind of knew what he was going to say. But I, I, Lamar is very active on social media. He knows what is being said about him. I was trying to give him the opportunity to respond. Uh, anytime people you know, have these statements that they, you know, they talk about Lamar, I always try to give him a, an opportunity to respond to him. And, again, he says he strongly you know, doubts it. And until, and you can say, hey, they figure him out in the playoffs because he only has one win in, in three years in the playoffs. But in the regular season, he's 30 and seven. He has the most wins uh, since taking over as the Ravens starting quarterback midway through the 2018 season. And, and until teams can consistently beat him, uh, I. Uh, I just you, I don't think you can make the statement that hey I, I, there's talk that they might have figured out Lamar Jackson because after his first playoff loss if you remember back in 2018 he had an awful game against the Los Angeles Chargers and people said okay the Chargers gave everybody the blueprint to beat Lamar Jackson well back in the, the next year in 2019 he became only the second unanimous MVP in league history mm-hmm. uh, so. Until you beat him on a consistent basis, I don't think you can make that statement. And when I say he's 30-7 and seven in the regular season, three of those losses have come to Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs. So you could say, hey, the Kansas City Chiefs have maybe figured out uh, Lamar Jackson, but the rest of the league, I think they're still trying to figure out how to slow him down. How much is J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards, and I know they split time last year, but I just get the feeling that the Buckeye is livid, hacked off, and motivated. I think J.K. Dobbins could be the breakout player of the year in the AFC, which helps Lamar Jackson. How has J.K. Dobbins looked in camp in person? Yeah, and I totally agree with you. We, we as part of NFL Nation, we have to today. We kind of put down who do you think is the breakout candidate uh, for for your team? I put J.K. Dobbins. And if you looked at last year, and I think J.K. Dobbins was like a lot of rookies 
last year, they were hurt by the fact that they didn't have any spring OTAs because of the pandemic. They had no preseason games. They had a reduced training camp. I thought early on, he was just not really as much in rhythm, and they didn't really use him as much early on. But when the Ravens had were in kind of must-win mode uh, to get into the playoffs, over those final five games of the season, J.K. Dobbins was eighth in the NFL in rushing over that period. Uh, and he, I think he was, he got maybe had like six touchdowns in those five games. So uh, I think this year, and, and we've talked about what do you want to kind of improve on? And he talked about, he wants to have more explosive runs and he wants to be more active in the passing game. He said, if you want to be an elite running back, you have to be an all around running back, kind of like a Christian McCaffrey, Alan Kamara. So Alan Kamara, Kamara, I'm sorry. And so that's what he is focused on. I think he is primed for having well over 1,000 yards rushing. I'm thinking maybe as far as total yards, maybe in the 1,300 range and double-digit touchdowns. I think in a division where they're talking a lot about Nick Chubb and, and, and things like that, I think J.K. Dobbins has kind of gone under the radar a little bit. And I think he is really as primed to be one of those breakout candidates this year. We're going camping with the Ravens with Jamison Hensley here on Spain and Fitz. Ian Fitzsimmons filling in for Jason Fitz. You know, you look at the predictions for the different divisions, and based on FPI rankings, the NFC West is the only division that has two teams in the FPI top six. Neither one won the division last year. That was the Steelers. (laughs) Who, who, who completely blew a tire at the end of the season. But you have the Ravens at 3.7, fourth in the NFL, and the Browns at 3.06. Um, is there confidence that this team can only go up, or is there any concern that offseason changes, aging, anything else uh, has created some holes in this roster? No, I think they feel like they've improved in, in most of their, their kind of the questionable categories. Uh, last year, the offensive line didn't, they weren't as effective as the previous years, so they kind of rebuilt that offensive line. On the defensive side, it was like, who, who's going to rush the passer? They lost Matthew Judon, Yannick Ngakwe. Well, they, they signed Justin Houston. They drafted Odafe Owe uh, as far as pass rush. I think they have that solidified. I think right now, the, the, the one area that could really hold the Ravens back, and it was, it's a position that it really hasn't been as productive uh, over the past two years as wide receiver. And they, they really felt they have upgraded that area when they drafted Rashad Bateman in the first round. They signed Sammy Watkins in free agency. But they have had trouble staying healthy. Marquise Hollywood-Brown has only had one full practice in training camp. Rashad Bateman has had a groin surgery. He might be out for the first full, full month of the season. And Sammy Watkins, he was out for this past week. So uh, Lamar Jackson hasn't had a lot of time to kind of get that rapport and chemistry with his wide receivers. That's, I think, the one question mark for the, for the Ravens. Can they get this passing game, which ranked last in the NFL, on track? I think it's going to take a little time before they get on the same page because of the injuries they've suffered this summer. This question isn't sexy, uh, but it's 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 vital when it comes to winning at that level or any level for that matter, from high school to college to, to pro football. Offensive and defensive line, how they look him because I, I look at Calais Campbell and I'm like, man, this guy's like 78 years old and still getting it done. You know, I don't I don't know what Alejandro Villanueva still has at, at right tackle, but man, if he has something left, my gosh, right? That's great for Lamar Jackson. How is the interior of this team looking? 
Yeah, the, the offensive line, again, they, this is another area where they've had a lot of injuries only this past week have all five projected starters play, practice together. So uh, it, it's kind of hard to judge them as a unit. Uh, but as long as Alejandro Villanueva and the right guard, Kevin Zeitler, both the kind of veteran AFC North players, if they, they can really stay healthy and solidify that right side, I think the Ravens have a great chance to have this offensive line be more effective than it was last year. And then on the defensive line, you're right, Calais Campbell last year, had the fewest sacks since his rookie year. And this is a player, even though you know he is kind of in, in years getting to be one of the older players in the NFL, he had been one of the more durable. And then last year, because of COVID, a couple other injuries, he missed games for the first time in a long while. I think he is, when we talk about bounce-back players, uh, he has been so dominant in training camp. I, I can't see him really bouncing back. And we, we've talked to him, how much longer do you want to play in the NFL? He feels he has another one or two good seasons left. And, and for a player of his caliber, uh, he wants to get that Super Bowl ring. So he is very motivated. And he, you know, he knows he only has a few years left. I think this could be another bounce back season for him. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Ian Fitzsimmons filling in. we got to let you go, but quickly, what's your prediction? We're going to give away a prize to the reporter who gets closest to their team's season record. Remember, 17 game schedule. Yeah, I, I, th- I see 12 wins for them. It's a, it's a tough schedule. They have a, a, t- a couple of tough scheduling breaks in there for them, uh, but I, th- I see them uh, 12 wins. That should at least get them a wild card spot, and for the fourth year, Lamar Jackson leads the Ravens back into the playoffs. Awesome stuff, Jamison. Thanks for the time. Hey, have a great rest of your show. Thank you so much. Coming up, we'll get into a handful of different things the way we like to. It's called Quickies next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Quickies. Let's start with uh, some surprising basketball news. Maybe not surprising, but uh, we're not quite in basketball season yet. We normally wait for that to uh, talk about suspensions, FBI investigations, (laughs) etc. Off the court issues. But uh, Chris Mack, University of Louisville head basketball coach, suspended without pay uh, for six games uh, in connection to an extortion investigation. This was on the same day today that former assistant coach Dino Gaudio was sentenced in federal court on extortion charges. And essentially, Louisville said that Mac did not act in the way he should have following guidelines, policies, and procedures when he was getting extorted. What a mess. Uh, Ian, you got any thoughts on this other than uh, it just feels like we can't get through uh, even – we aren't even in the season what, yet like, without some of this. I would rather try and figure out what Eddie Vedder was saying right there. Right? <laughs> that, 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 <laughs> because you can kind of just mumble along with, with, uh, yes. with, with Pearl Jam tunes, certain ones, then try and figure out what's going on when it comes to NCAA basketball and allegations and suspensions and whatnot. I mean, it's, it's – I, I, Sarah, and that's my world. I mean, in college athletics, and I really don't have any thought outside of Louisville can't get out of their own way. And this has been going on since Rick Pitino and now Chris Mack. And, you know, you're serving a six game suspension. You're probably lucky it's only six. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it's it's kind of a mess trying to parse out which programs are quote-unquote doing it right, if any of them. And in the end, it's sort of just like which ones are getting caught and which ones are managing yep. to avoid it. All right, next story. Quickies. Uh, Ronaldo is coming home. 
as I said today, uh, things that came home before England. Uh, we got Kemba Walker in the Knicks. We got Kristen Press in Angel City. And now we have Ronaldo and Man U. Sorry, England. A lot of people coming home, not you. Uh, his return after a dozen years. Uh, what do you make of this? You're a huge Ronaldo fan, right? Uh, look, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's Renee, not me. <laughs> okay. One of our producers. I, I, look, I, Sarah, when it comes to the other football all I know is our U.S. Olympic team. Yes, our World the women's Cup team, team yep. that crushes. Yep. Men's, women's, you know, Olympics, World Cups. I'm, I am fully invested, mm. emotionally invested. When so I was led the- astray by Twitter who said, shout out to the Cristiano stands like Ian Fitzsimmons who are on cloud nine <laughs> after this blockbuster transaction. That was sarcastic, apparently. Giddy up. Because I couldn't tell you where he came from or who he played wow. for. All I know is okay. Ronaldo and Messi, and that's it. That's all I've got. Brian Dunseth, I know you're listening right now probably. Sorry, buddy, I let you down. Anyway. I right, don't know much. Captain's the Portuguese team. He was at Juventus, and then that's there it. were some rumors he might go to Man City, which, of course, would be really terrible for the Man U fans who want to keep up the legacy. Got in touch Stein. with some of his old buds from Man U, and uh, he is making his return. All right, next story. Quickies. We've got a uh, we've got a cool story in MLB, which is difficult for me to say because <laughs> I'm not watching a whole lot of MLB these I'm days, with you. and neither are you because they broke up our team and they sent away all of our favorites. And the game is here, boring. Here it's for hard the Cubs, to watch. It's hard. We're, we got a minor league team out there. You you get excited for a couple walk offs, but I usually wait till the highlight hits and watch it after. I don't actually watch the game, but. MLB Network's uh, games last night and tonight uh, we had some. They had the clubhouse edition on Thursday, the last MLB Network showcase. And tonight we have Cubs White Sox all female broadcast team again. They did this early in the season, but we got Melanie Newman, Elise Meniker, and Alana Rizzo calling Cubs White Sox tonight. Always love to see the all women crews, and they got a ton of great, great, great uh, responses last time they did this. Uh, so exciting, exciting stuff in MLB. Uh, tonight and and maybe one of the only reasons that you could force me to watch the Cubs minor league team probably get their butts beat by our crosstown. Oh, we're up three nothing right now. All right, look at that! <laughs> a go. dramatic loss. That'll <laughs> be exciting. <laughs> a come from behind Season's loss. Done, right? It's come one. from a head loss, I should say. I, I am with you one million percent. As a proud dad of, of two amazing girls that uh, that love sports. Um, it's to, to watch these initiatives. It's 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 tremendous. It really is, yeah. especially for teenage girls to be able to watch this. That has a remarkable subliminal impact on, yeah, I can do that. I, I can do what dad does or whatever. I mean, it, it's, it, I can't emphasize enough how important watching stuff like this is for teenage girls. It is. It is. And I'll tell you, people ask me all the time about getting into my career, and they assume it's because my parents were super into sports and I grew up that's not the case. I just was an athlete and I was really into sports and Michael Jordan and the Bulls. And it didn't even occur to me to work in the field until years later when I moved out to LA to do acting and comedy stuff and, you know, hosted a fake show in a class for the Bears. And the teacher said, Oh, you want to do sports? I said, No, there's no women in sports. And so to have this be ubiquitous, where everywhere you go, you can hear and see women covering it, just opens up the door for so many young girls and boys even to just be used to it and not and not think that it's a big deal anymore. Speaking of baseball, everyone's got a cousin Hold from on a Boston. Time out, time out, time out. Ubiquitous, right there. That's Cornell. That's, that's what that is, right there, right there. That's, <laughs> Would you prefer you, you, that I be more taciturn and less loquacious <laughs> when I'm talk talking down about? To me. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, it's always good to learn. It's always good to learn, even when you're on the job. Ubiquitous. There you go. 
Uh, everyone's got a cousin from Boston who forgets their wallet at dinner but never forgets a sixer of refreshing Sam Adams. Cheers to that. The Boston Beer Company, Boston Mass, savor the flavor responsibly. Actually, speaking of moving out to L.A. for acting and comedy, the guy in all those ads, Greg Hoyt, the cousin from Boston, was in my acting classes in L.A. So shout out to Greg for making that uh, ad campaign. He's every, he's ubiquitous now on my television <laughs> during sporting events. Well so done. congrats to him. All right. Final story. Quickies. We got a rule in the NBA that is now uh, making it mandatory for any staff broadcast, anyone who works within 15 feet of the players, interacts in any way, will be required to get the COVID-19 vaccine. It specifically lists coaches, front office, and medical staff, security, team communications, scorers, table staff, attendants, anyone who is close enough to the players Um, You can, I guess, get out of it with the medical or sincerely held religious belief exemptions, uh, but those are going to be tough to convince. Otherwise, you got to get vaccinated by September 1 or risk losing their job. I know these are very controversial times. We all grew up with mandatory vaccinations. You just didn't know about it. The reason you got to go to your school is because of mandatory vaccinations. Every single science expert that knows anything that is not trying to make money off of horse dewormers is going to tell you to get vaccinated. So I'm here for all of the leagues doing this. Uh, It works for me. Everything that she just said, yeah, right there. One million percent right there with you. All right. It's Spain and Fitz, Ian Fitzsimmons. I'd just like to clip that off and run that for the rest of the time. Everything she says (laughs) is right. That's it right there. Track that comment. (laughs) (laughs) Coming up next, back to NFL. We're going to go camping with the Browns, with the Ravens and Steelers predictions so high. How will they finish? It's coming up next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. That's right. We talked Ravens. We've hit up almost all the other teams in this division, but we haven't gone to Cleveland yet. Jake Trotter is going to take us there, joining us here on Spain and Fitz. Jake, it doesn't feel that long ago that there were some pretty big-time football people saying that Baker Mayfield might not be the answer. Getting ready to give up on him. It doesn't feel like there are many of those people left. Heading into this camp, just how high is the hype? How, uh, how much is the hype, I guess, for, uh, for, for uh, Baker? Yes, Sarah, it's amazing what a little bit of continuity it can do for the narrative, right? I mean, Baker Mayfield, mm-hmm. remember, had his fourth head coach his first three seasons in Kevin Stefanski last year. I, you know, I, I don't know that there's a quarterback in NFL history that underwent more turmoil, uh, you know, those first couple of years in the league than Baker did with the Browns. But, you know, they have the same scheme back. They have the same coaching staff back. They have the same personnel return all 11 starters and many of their top reserves, and then they get OBJ back as well. And, you know, I think that when we evaluate Baker Mayfield, you know, you, you can't just evaluate the 2019, what 2019 season in a vacuum. You have to look at what was going on, and certainly Baker was, you know, in part responsible for that disappointing 6-10 and 10 finish. But in between, you know, sandwiching that season, you know, he was second in the offensive rookie of the year voting and led – Cleveland to its first playoff victory in 26 years. So uh, I, I think that people have good reason to believe that this could be a huge year for Baker Mayfield, uh, given the continuity, and then a huge year for the Browns as a result as well. Jake, you've known Baker going back to, heck, high school, much less college when you covered him at Oklahoma, <laughs> as I did. Um, 
I just I think he hears everything. At least he used to, uh, and you're around him every day now. Is he still that same guy where he hears people saying, you know, you should not pay Baker Mayfield yet. Let him still prove it. How much does that still drives him? Because I don't I don't think he cares about whether he gets paid or not right now. He just wants to go win the next snap, win the next game. Is he still that same guy? Yeah, you know, I actually asked him about this the other day, Ian, during the joint practice with the Giants, because the topic came up from, from some other reporters uh, from New York there, and it definitely has waned a little bit for Baker. Uh, you know, he, when he was at Texas Tech in Oklahoma, I mean, he, he kept an actual list of people that had doubted him or yep. slighted him and used that as motivation. He doesn't have a list anymore, but like, yeah, in the middle of that conversation, he referenced some article that I had written about him like three years ago. I didn't honestly didn't even know what he was talking about. <laughs> <laughs> so he, 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 he reads, he knows what's going on. And, you know, he, he loves betting on himself. There's, there's not a player I have covered that relishes betting on himself more than Baker Mayfield. And, and if the Browns decide that they're not ready to give him the extension, I think the way Baker would look at it as, okay, uh, I'm going to go have this great season. Now I'm going to bet on myself and you guys are going to have to pay me a heck of a lot more in 2022. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Ian Fitzsimmons filling in on this Friday. We're talking to Jake Trotter at Brown's camp. Among the other narratives that can be disputed with good play this year, that Odell Beckham Jr. makes Baker and the Browns worse. What's the expectation for ODB this year? Yeah, that that is the big question offensively. We really haven't gotten a taste of it yet because Odell has been so limited in training camp so far. Really just started to ramp up, I would say, in the last couple of days or so, got his first team snap, uh, you know, against the defense uh, th- this week and then seven on seven as well. I mean, going back to the Giants trade, guys, Odell and Baker have the worst wide receiver quarterback completion rate of any duo in the NFL. Oof. The worst. Uh, not, not worst on the Browns, not worst in the AFC, the worst in the NFL. And, you know, I wrote – I wrote this at the time after Odell's injury in week seven of last year that I don't know if the Browns are going to be a better team as a result of this injury, but I do think that Baker's going to be a better quarterback because he's not going to be stressed out about Odell getting the ball or not getting the ball. Where is Odell? He hasn't touched it in a quarter. we got to force it to him now. Baker's just going to do what he did at Oklahoma in his rookie season with the Browns. He's just going to read the defense. He's going to go through the progression, and he's going to make the right decision. And sure enough, that's what happened. Uh, the rest of the season. Now, Odell being out was not the only reason the Browns really surged offensively late in the season. I mentioned all the, you know, turmoil that Baker had endured, you know, those first three seasons in the NFL. And, you know, he was settling into the Stefanski system as the season went along. The rest of the offense was as well. Remember, they had to install that offense during a virtual offseason. So it was always going to take a little bit of time. Um, but, but for whatever reason, the, the chemistry between Baker and Odell has just not been there. If you talk to people in the building in Cleveland, what they will tell you is Odell Beckham's going to be playing with a completely different Baker Mayfield than he last did. A more confident Baker Mayfield, a more poised Baker Mayfield, more established now given the way, uh, you know, he performed in the playoffs. And so it's going to be on Baker to just play his game and utilize Odell instead of worrying about Odell, if that makes any sense, you know. uh, And and I I was talking to Dan Orlovsky about this the, the other day, and Dan brought up a good point, you know, Odell should not be a guy that gets targeted, you know, 17 times a game all of a sudden just because he's Odell. 
the Browns have one of the best running games in the NFL. They run play action and they take shots deep and they have an opportunity to really uh, utilize Odell that way where, you know, Odell, I, a great box score for him might be, you know, four catches, 98 yards and a touchdown, you know, bring that deep threat that the Browns really missed after his injury last year. And I think if they do that, you know, Dan thinks they have a chance to have the best offense in the NFL. I don't know if I'm ready to go that far, but they were sixth in efficiency last year, despite all the issues they had to deal with. If they put it all together this season with Odell, you're, it's not crazy to say that this could be the best, you know, one of the top two or three offenses in the league. How are they handling all the hype? Yeah, I, you know, one of, one of the things that struck me about this team last year is despite having to meet virtually all the time, I and mean, it was like every other day it felt like their building was getting shut down, uh, you know, due to uh, COVID-19 protocols. Despite all that, despite Kevin Stefanski being a first-time head coach, they took on his personality, and it was a complete change from 2019 where they were so erratic and so unpredictable. They, were, they, were, they, they never panicked last year, no matter what happened. Lose Miles Garrett to COVID-19, you know, we're going to be fine. Uh, lose our head coach for our first playoff game since uh, 2002, mm-hmm. we're going to be fine. We'll go beat the Pittsburgh Steelers. I mean, they never had this panic about them, and that's the way Kevin Stefanski is. And it's carried over into this preseason where, you know, they're not making – have you guys seen a bunch of headlines connected to the Browns? I mean, I've been trying to pitch a lot no, of them. but not you know, a they're, lot. They're kind of boring. Under the radar. They're kind of boring. They're kind of boring, and I mean that as a compliment. They're just very methodical right now, uh, and, and I think they have this quiet confidence about them that stems from their head coach. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Ian Fitzsimmons filling in for Jason on this Friday as we take you around the entire NFL. We go camping with every team. I want to get to your prediction, but first I want to ask you about some of the other predictions we've gotten from reporters covering teams in that same division because I've been looking across a couple divisions where I'm not sure where all these teams are going to get the wins because everybody is pretty confident. Mm-hmm. I know that now is the time to be confident, but for instance, we've got you know the Niners at 11 and six, the Seahawks 11 and six, the Rams at 12 and five. Where are they getting the the wins in, and where are they taking the L's there? And in the case of of the Browns, uh, you know we've already got predictions. Uh, for teams that are going to get, according to Brooke Pryor, 13-4 and four for the Steelers. I'm not buying that at all. Mo Agger's got the Bengals at 7-10, and 10, and Jamison Hensley's got the Ravens at 12-5. and five. Who's the most off there before we get to your prediction? Can, can I say all of them? No, I'm just wow! Uh, <laughs> Shots fired! First of all, uh, I, I think people write off the Steelers a little bit too soon here. I, I think that defense is still elite. Uh, they've got wins. good skill talent. Mm. Who, who knows about the offensive line? And obviously the big question has been 13 yeah. wins to me is an insane prediction. Even yeah. and I'm kind of a Steelers optimist. So I, I, uh, I would say that that one probably sticks out the most. But, I mean, you're right. It is a tough division. And, uh, you know, I, to me, it, it, it's, the, it's time for the Browns to win it. I mean, they've, they've never won a division named the AFC North before. You could have just uh, you know, stopped with one, a division, just a period at the end of was, they've uh, never won. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right, right, true. I mean, they haven't, won, they, haven't, they haven't been in this position since Bernie Kosar was the quarterback. Um, I, I will say this, like, you know, my, my, my dad is going to, to Vegas next weekend, and he was asking me, you know, I don't really bet on games myself, but he was asking me, you know, what he should do. And I said, you know, I saw the Browns at nine and a half, and that to me seems extremely low. I mean, 
I would make one bet and hammer that on the over. They won 11 games last year despite a new head coach, new schemes. They had to install those in the virtual offseason. They had almost unmatched adversity with COVID-19. When you look at the players they miss, and they still won 11 games. The schedule's a little bit tougher. It's not a lot tougher. It's a little tougher. Uh, but they have a 17th game to get there. So, uh, to me, it feels like, you know, this Browns team can be a 12-win team. And I think if they win 12 games, despite what Brooke Pyre says, that's mm-hmm. going to be good enough to win the division. All right. We've got 12-5 and five and winning the division. We will be sending out prizes that I will probably have to be responsible for, but I will make Fitz pay for <laughs> at the end of the season. The Thanks so much Fitz, for the time, me, Jake. Jake. Not guy. you. Not yeah, you. Yeah. Safe. Both, both, both Fitz. I want to hear from both Fitz. Neither can be trusted or He's depended on, Jake. so I'll be in charge. But Fitz will, Jason Fitz will have to pay for it. Hey, thanks for the time, Jake. Appreciate it. Okay, see you guys. Jake Trotter with us there in the Goodyear Hotline talking Browns. Spain and Fitzy and Fitzsimmons filling in for Jason. Don't forget, tune into an AL battle tomorrow as the A's host the Yankees. Coverage begins at 3.30 p.m. Eastern on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Coming up, football starts tomorrow. We're going to uh, we're gonna get some of your answers about uh, the things you most look forward to during the football season. Talk about a preview of the weekend. It's coming up next, Spain and Fitz. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. We asked you early on in the show as we talked about college football getting underway tomorrow. Tomorrow, it's uh, college game day. Ver- uh, Alcorn State versus North Carolina Central. I think 25 games in this quote-unquote week zero. And so uh, as we do the weekend preview brought to you by the Bank of America Customized Cash Rewards Credit Card, earn 3% cash back on online shopping, copyright 2021 Bank of America Corporation. We're looking ahead to the weekend. We also wanted to preview just in general the football season. And Ian, we got a whole lot of responses from folks about the uh, the thing that they most look forward to, the tradition. And some of them chose traditions from teams. At Matt P. Douglas chose uh, Florida versus Georgia, the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. Oh, uh, there. WSA Kalocks chose jump around at Wisconsin games. Uh, Tracy Wilson, the band playing Rock, Rocky Top in Knoxville. Uh, are, do you have one of those that's specific, like a song or a, a tradition during a game at, at one of the places you've been? Sarah, if you've never been to the world's largest cocktail party, we're not supposed to say that anymore, but to hell with it because that's what it is. That's Florida, Georgia. That is an advertisement for Red Solo Cups. I mean, in the parking lot. I mean, I, I've never seen anything like it outside of an LSU night game. That thing is remarkable because it's neutral site. Half the stadium is one color, normally red. The other is blue or orange, right, or a combination of, of those two on the other side. And it gets cannibalistic. It's amazing. Uh, the, yeah. the, the cocktail party, if you've never been, that is a must-do along with LSU as a night game. Um, jump around is, man, when you're in that stadium – Heck, I, I did a bowl game. I did a Capital One Bowl years ago uh, in Wisconsin. Was playing it against South Carolina. It was one of Steve Spur. I think it was Steve Spurrier's second to last year. The stadium shook, Sarah, and it was a bowl yeah. game. It wasn't even at home, right? We weren't in Madison, and the stadium in the fourth quarter literally shook. That's that's college football, and it cranks up tomorrow. You know, one o'clock Eastern, Nebraska, Illinois, a Big Ten game. I know it's a bottom. Peters of the Big Ten, but I don't give a bleep, man. Let's go. We got we got cold beer and chicken wings. Let's watch some football. Yeah, 
It's gonna it's it's gonna be uh, it's gonna feel early because it's still hot in so many places. And I don't know. Once you get into the midst of football season, you kind of forget that it always starts when it's real summer. But uh, it starts tomorrow. And uh, by the way, news from the Spain and Fitz Nation. Uh, I-, I like this person's answer because it's feeling very real with the draft coming up. At Wooster BBB hit us up on the Dr Pepper Twitter feed and said his favorite tradition is watching my fantasy team fall out of contention by halftime of week one. It's <laughs> just like so. <laughs> cynical um but i feel like i've i've been hit by the injury bug recently i had a win i think two years ago in the espn 1000 league which was great just me and the whole pack of men who worked there to beat all of them yeah it always feels good you know uh to get those w's but last year i had dak he went out i had Eck, he went out my team my Eck, my dak did not fare very well after that uh but i'm hoping i'm hoping for better this year um I also am going to be just like at Meigs 16 Sunday hangover watching football from 10 a.m. to 8.30 p.m. I mentioned this earlier, Ian. I'm not sure what it is. My, I think I told you my parents are not big sports fans, yeah. so they just didn't sit around and watch sports, and they didn't sit around and really watch any TV. We watch TV at night sometimes. We'd stay up and watch Saturday Night Live where, you know, they were both lawyers, so it was Moonlighting and L.A. Law and Allie McBeal. I'm not, they took the office home with them for a lot of shows we used to watch as kids growing up, but I was a three-sport athlete, and I was all-state and band and chorus, so I didn't have a lot of free time, and I didn't sit around and watch TV. So literally woman. a couple of yeah, yeah, Renaissance woman, overachiever, uh, kiss ass, you know, any of those. But um, I didn't until probably about three years ago tell myself that it was okay to spend all day Sunday watching the NFL because it was my job. Like I had to rationalize to myself that I was allowed to be quote unquote lazy and watch TV all day on Sundays because it made me better at my job. It's not lazy. It's my job. But like, that's my mentality for my whole life. And it was, it had to like, I had to talk myself into letting myself do that. And now, especially fall and winter, I love just spending my Sundays alone on my couch, watching the bears and red zone all day. Hey, look, when I get home from a college game, and, and this year I'll be doing both uh, college and pro, but when you come home uh, and, and you have a, the opportunity just to sit on the couch with the dogs and the kids and watch ball, yeah. there's nothing yeah, better. Just check out. But my, my 13-year-old uh, daughter, Marin, looked at me today and said, Dad, so college football starts tomorrow. She said, I said, yeah. Oh, yeah, let's go. She goes, yeah. Got to work. Huh? She put air quotes, right? Got to work tomorrow work right, dad right <laughs> like watching, i'm watching glad she games, is already aware ball. hell yes yeah. it's work i mean it's hard work sitting on the couch right eating chicken wings and having a cold yeah. one watching nebraska you know and illinois it's a good reminder though <laughs> that we know it's work only because it's you know scheduled and we have to be there and That's do our it. prep and everything but that other people don't see it that way my mom always says that have fun tonight i'm like at work it's work. Okay. Like it's, you know, have fun with the thing tonight. My Hard show, work. my job. I will. I will have fun with my job tonight, Mom. Um, you guys gave us some really good ones. I'm excited for football starting tomorrow. You guys are excited. Maybe not as much college. Like I said, I chose Michigan. And at Jason Carlin said, Washington, Michigan fans say, this is the year Harbaugh brings us the natty every I've year. I've got your squad uh, week two, Washington at Michigan. I'll be at the big house. I'll be thinking of listen, you. Listen, man. I wish I wish I'd picked a winning team, but you got to go with your gut. For whatever reason, UM uh, has has my heart uh, until they start losing, and then I have to make a different choice. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at seven Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.